offer any uh, request for public comment? There are. Can I call roll? Sure. Thank you. Uh, Trustee Charland. Here. Trustee Sheeklan. Uh, Trustee Peterson is out, and Trustee Banerjee. Here. We have a quorum. Thank you. Great. Well, welcome to our trustees, management team, and to our auditors. And since we haven't met, uh, you haven't met some of us, so uh, in June when we had our meeting about the audit plan, we have met uh, the Mark who's been with us. So, um, so and Liz, you all know, but I wanted to go ahead and do some introductions. So, um, why, uh, I'll start with me. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you for being the board for five or four years now and chair of the audit committee. And I'm a rookie, a sheep on the now. Almost a year. Thank you. Now, my name is Brian Connor. I'm a healthcare partner with Moss Adams, and I've been uh, your concurring partner, quality control partner, for the last uh, two years on the engagement, and then transitioned uh, at the beginning of our field work and current year into the engagement partner role when uh, Ben Mack uh, decided to retire as our partner and uh, spend more time with his kids. It's a novel concept. Uh, thanks for having me here today. Hi, I'm Liz Lanier, audit manager. I've been working on this audit since we started three years ago. It's a pleasure to be back. Good to have you all back. All right, so let's get on with our agenda. First thing is approval of minutes from um, our September minutes. Do you have a motion? Second. Um, all in favor? Aye. All right. And then let's move on to our audit report. So I'm going to turn it over to um, Brian and Liz. Great. So, uh, can I just ask? Yes. So, since we uh, read it, would you like um, to give us an overall presentation, or do you, would you rather do questions? How would you most like us uh, like to do that? Well, I think a summary presentation would be helpful. Yeah. 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 Okay, that's perfect. That fits kind of uh, with what we had planned in, in the materials that you have. You have, of course, have the draft financial statements, uh, but you also have, we, we have a copy of the presentation, uh, yes. and that's really what we're going to work for. It's a summary of uh, our thoughts and communications related to the audit, as well as some information uh, related to the financial statements. So we'll start on, do I have a, a clicker, Rick? Is that... Uh, Those are communications that's required and communications that we believe are really important uh, to share with you uh, uh, as the team starts with governance of this uh, engagement. We have some other information, uh, some financial slides, comparisons of uh, asset, liability, revenue, expense information uh, from prior years, and then a very, very brief uh, accounting standards update, talk about what might be uh, coming down 
the avenue here in the next few years that will impact your financial statements. So flipping forward a couple of slides in the auditor uh, opinion and report section, we'll first go to slide four, scope of services. Uh, so we perform the following services for, uh, for the health system. Uh, of course, the annual financial statement audit uh, of the uh, consolidated health system uh, as of for the year ended June 30th, 2018. We also have performed uh, some non-attest services for the organization. This is important to discuss as it relates to our independence uh, as an auditor. So we've assisted you in drafting uh, these financial statements that we're viewing today. We've assisted with some tax preparation services uh, on some uh, 990s for some affiliated entities. Uh, there is a certain uh, payroll tax matter that we assisted your team with. Uh, and then finally, some uh, routine wage index consulting uh, from our cost report reimbursement specialists in your cost report uh, team. So those four items are uh, non-attest services that, are, that don't otherwise impair our independence uh, as your auditors. So we believe that we are independent uh, given the scope of services that we have. And on the next uh, slide, so our auditor uh, report that we have uh, in your financial statements, and you've got financial statements, you have a number of audit reports, uh, and we'll talk through those uh, in a little bit. The, the, the primary report on the financial statements, all of the reports have been modified opinions, but uh, the primary report as it relates to your financial statements is an unmodified opinion. That uh, means we believe your financial statements are fairly presented uh, in accordance with uh, generally accepted audit. Accounting uh, principles in the United States, uh, and uh, in the context of materiality, we believe your uh, financial statements are fairly stated. That is, as we mentioned, a draft opinion. Those financial statements are in very final draft form, so we don't expect any changes to the information that you've had a chance to look at, uh, and we expect to issue very shortly uh, following this meeting. For the next couple of slides, I'm going to turn it over to Liz, and we'll walk through uh, some financial information related to uh, your financial statements. Liz? Thanks, Brian. Yeah, here we go. So to just go over some of the key audit procedures we performed uh, related to the statements of net position. Um, so to audit your cash balances, we confirm that any balances as of June 30, 2018 directly with Union Bank obtained management's reconciliations of the cash accounts and tested any significant items there. We did not know any exceptions or variances there. Um, one of the more significant balances that we audit is patient accounts receivable. In order to test that balance, we first look at the prior year estimate and see how much cash has been collected related to that prior year estimate in fiscal year 18. So we were able to get within a reasonable range there on the prior year estimate. So being comfortable with the prior year estimate, we were able to look at a small percentage of the cash receipts in the first three months subsequent to June 30, 2018, and get comfortable that the remaining balance would be collected 12 months after this year end. Um, we also look at the valuation models for the Sydney entities, Highland Hospital, uh, San Leandro and Alameda Hospital to make sure that those models are consistent and appropriately calculated. 
all of that was within our expectations. Um, you'll notice a slight uptick in the patient accounts receivable balances, driven mostly by the increased activity in uh, Alameda Health Partners this year. Last year, the balance was very small. This year, the balance there grew to about 10 million, so that accounts for most of the increase. Um, to test the doom from third-party balances, these are your receivables related to supplemental revenues. Um, to test these balances, we spent a lot of time with uh, management, with Shulin, the reimbursement director, uh, to go over the methodologies that were used by management to generate the estimates. These relate primarily to the Prime program, the GPP program, uh, the Ray Range IGT, and the new programs this year for EPP and QIP. We confirmed the, um, the numbers used by management to generate the estimates directly with CAPH wherever possible. We reviewed the reports that were submitted um, to the state to support the balances for prime and GPP. We, we um, tested the encounter data used in some of those reports, tracing it back to the medical records to ensure that all that data was accurately reflected. We also looked at cash receipts that came in related to these revenue streams. Um, needless to say, we spent a lot of time auditing these balances. It's a very significant estimate. Um, we were able to conclude that these balances were fairly stated. Um, we will notice a large decrease during the year on those receivables, that mainly relates to one of the programs ended in June 30, 2017. Um, the MCA2 cost um, portion of AB85 ended, so that was a large receivable that was collected out during fiscal year 18, and the receivable um, went to zero. So that's um, what happened there. <laughs> The other balances, um, we took a look at the capital assets are you know, pretty straightforward, a slight increase in the balance there related to the EPIC costs that were capitalized during the year. So we'll expect to see more of that in the, in the coming year. Um, and then the restricted cash equivalents, that is the cash held with the county. We sent a confirmation to the county to confirm those balances um, and noted that the confirmation we received from the county agreed back to AHS books. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the deferred outflows. We can roll that up into our discussion on the next slide for liabilities. So this, is the, this slide shows the liabilities and deferred inflows. Um, our main procedures here were focused again on the due to third-party accounts. Um, we sent confirmations to CAPH to confirm those balances, to confirm that the estimates um, you know, were fairly stated. We looked at all available documentation. We engaged the help of one of our healthcare consultants internally to help us um, get a sense that the liabilities for cost reports and FQHC reserves were fairly stated, noting that we did not know any exceptions in our testing there. 
um, related to these liabilities, um, related to net pension liability and deferred inflows and deferred outflows, the net pension liability and this year the uh, other post-employment benefit obligation liability were both tested through um, an actuary report. The, the actuary report provided by Stegall Consulting that was provided to us um, from the, that the one that the county uses. Um, so the net pension liability um, is determined based on the schedule of allocations determined by Sarah. Um, and we just, our main procedure there is just making sure that we could rely on the inputs used by the actuary to generate those estimates. Um, these estimates are used to develop the deferred inflows and outflows, as you'll see on the, uh, on this, on the liabilities and on the asset side. Um, there was a significant increase in the deferred inflows this year related to the other post-employment benefit obligations uh, as a result of a new accounting pronouncement, GASB 75, there was a change in um, how that estimate is generated. That's why you'll also see a decrease, a pretty significant decrease in your other non-current liabilities the liability for other post-employment benefit obligations went from about 45 million to about 5 million. So pretty significant decrease there, but it kind of flowed through into the deferred inflows that are expected. So that is what happened there. And then just probably to clarify, deferred inflows and deferred outflows, that concept as it relates to your pension plan, your other post-employment benefit, benefit plans, those are um, activity that relates to really two things. One is actuarial changes that occur so that, you know, if the discount range changes, other assumptions change, they take that, uh, the changes to your liability and kind of hang that on the balance sheet and then they'll amortize that through your pension plan expense um, over a period of time, a five-year period. So that's what those are. Those are the kind of deferred activity that's going to be amortized into your pension expense. When it's on the liability side, it usually signifies, in this case it does signify, that your uh, asset returns, your investment returns in those plans were higher than what the uh, long-term rate of return had projected. So, you know, what goes into expense in uh, any one year is the projected uh, investment return, and then the actual return goes into this holding category and then is amortized out. So this will get amortized as a reduction to expense over, you know, a five-year period. There's a disclosure in your financial statement that, that relates to that. So that's what those big numbers are. They're really actuarial kinds of changes that will hit your pension expense and your other post-employment benefit expense in future years. Okay, next page. We can go to the next slide. This slide included to show the relationship between your net patient accounts receivable and your net patient service revenues. So pretty consistent there. A little bit of an uptick uh, just related to the increase in patient accounts receivable. Can you move on? Uh, and then we have a slide here to just show you the 
percentage of operating expenses by category from year to year. Um, you can see it's pretty consistent year to year in terms of where your operating expenses are going, um, consistent with what we see in most similar other organizations. It's mostly going to salaries and wages and related benefits. Um, the rest of it has been fairly consistent. And typically, um, in this, this pie chart representation, kind of aligns with analytics that we do throughout the uh, audit process. So when uh, uh, Liz talked about a lot of the balance sheet work that we do, detailed testing, uh, items and assets and liabilities, we do a lot of analytic work in revenue and expenses, look at trends uh, relative to industry benchmarks uh, in comparison with non-financial data uh, and in comparison with the prior year trends. And you see you look at this, uh, which is what we would expect, the breakdown uh, or the allocation and is very consistent uh, from year to year. So that's one of the analytics that we go through trying to analyze. Uh, is there something going on uh, in expense accounts that would impact the financial statements overall? Uh, so when it's it's pretty consistent year to year, uh, and that meets our ex expectations, that's consistent with one of the tests that we do uh, in a financial statement audit. So those are just kind of brief graphical representation of your numbers. You know, a lot of, uh, you saw a lot of asset and liability um, activity that was related, uh, as Liz mentioned, to that, um, uh, the expansion receivable uh, that you had from the prior waiver program getting paid. That was, uh, uh, Nancy, I want to say 140 million, something like that, that you collected uh, in the current year that allowed you uh, to fund uh, some of your capital uh, expenditure activity uh, related to EPIC, allowed you to pay down your liquidity facility uh, with the county. So a lot of activity related to collection of the, um, uh, in uh, bringing down the receivable uh, in other third party uh, due funds. Move on to slides related to the audit itself, um, and before we get to, I do want to open it up for questions. Uh, so if you have thoughts on the financial statements that uh, we don't cover in here, don't hesitate to to ask a question. But the first slide here on communications with those charged with governance is our responsibility uh, as it relates to a financial statement audit uh, done under U.S. Uh, auditing standards and government auditing standards. A uh, couple of things to keep in mind here: we're responsible for the audit opinions that you have in that document. All the other items that make up that financial statement package, whether it's individual statements, line items, balances, uh, the notes there too, that's the responsibility of your management team. Uh, so they prepare the financial statements, they're responsible, and our responsibility is to give an opinion on whether those financial statements are, are free of material misstatement. We do that under the concept of materiality, where we get reasonable and not absolute assurance. So that uh, process that Liz was describing in detail is really test process. We're not looking at every transaction uh, during the year, obviously. Uh, and finally, from an internal control perspective, um, we're responsible for understanding your internal control and doing uh, procedures to determine whether that's uh, we document that and that the controls are implemented as they've been described. We're not providing an opinion on whether your internal control structure is operating 
uh, effectively, you know, that kind of opinion uh, that you might get from uh, uh, an SEC registrant uh, that's conducting an audit under Sarbanes-Oxley. They're also opining on the internal controls. Uh, that's not being done on the standards that's required for your financial statement audit. Uh, but if we find something that we think is of concern and it rises to a certain level, we're required to communicate that to those we charge with governance as it relates to control deficiencies. So we have a slide uh, coming up here that we'll talk about that. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask what so advice to a certain level is that 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 um, that decision point that you mean when does something become material authority? I mean, I, I don't I don't think I used the right, but when is it material? Yeah, you didn't you didn't use the right term. So there's really kind of uh, there's two tiers. Uh, the first is uh, when we uh, deem something to be a significant deficiency in your internal control structure. Uh, kind of the the new uh, definition of that is anything that we believe merits the consideration. Uh, and the communication to those charged with governance. Uh, I think the old definition of that is more helpful. And it's really it was defined as anything that's more than inconsequential to the organization's internal control structure. So it's a relatively low bar to get to. Uh, so it's not terribly uncommon for uh, organizations that are well run to have significant deficiencies in internal control. And it really means that the internal controls may not detect or prevent in a timely manner uh, something in the financial statements that, that would be a misstatement that's more than inconsequential. That's a significant deficiency. A material weakness is the same definition except the misstatement that the controls didn't detect or um, timely prevent uh, is material to the financial statements. And you may have noticed on the expense slide that your expenses and your revenues topped you're in the bees now. Uh, you topped a billion dollars. So uh, your materiality threshold uh, for financial statement audit purposes might be higher than what you would consider to be significant you know, in other parts of governance of the organization. So you have a relatively high materiality threshold. So if you have a material weakness, it means that your internal controls is not satisfactory to prevent or timely detect a misstatement that could be material in the financial statements. That would be a big number. Is that helpful? Yes. And then we have, you know, of course, other best practice recommendations or uh, items that, that we identify during the course of uh, you know, the time that we have out here that we'll communicate with management, we're only required to communicate to you uh, in writing those items that rise to the level of a significant deficiency or material weakness. <laughs> um, so the next slide, uh, plan scope and timing. Um, the, the audit room meeting at the time that we expected to for the consolidated audit, uh, the uh, timing was uh, was consistent with the expectations uh, that Ben would have communicated in a planning session. That was largely due to um, I'd say a heroic effort uh, on your uh, management and finance team. I mean, it really did uh, yeoman's work. I know Ann um, was uh, uh, the last couple of weeks, Ann and Liz were working together very hard uh, to get this done. So there's a, a lot of work that went into that um, to meet that planned timeline. Uh, for Alameda Health Partners, you know, your financial statements, 
have really three separate entities in this. Alameda Health System, you have the Health Partners, which is a blended component. It's just included in the consolidated numbers. And then you have the Foundation, which is discreetly presented. The Foundation's been audited separately. We have issued an opinion on that. Health Partners, we haven't issued a standalone opinion yet. Um, that information, uh, that the scope of that audit was delayed a little bit in terms of uh, us receiving information, being able to process that information. Uh, we had a board meeting scheduled with uh, Health Partners Board that's been delayed. Uh, we're in the process of kind of finalizing and working through uh, that. We were able to do uh, the work that we needed to do to opine on the consolidated financial statements. We're still finalizing that from a standalone perspective. So that was the only aspect uh, where the timing slipped a little bit. Do you know when you might be able to find? Um, yeah, I, I would say we've got, um, we're right there, we've probably got uh, a couple of weeks worth of work uh, to finalize and get that in a, in a presentation situation. The next uh, Health Partners Board meeting, I believe it's the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, so I think we're shooting for uh, being close to done at that point and probably present at the December board meeting. So you That's had delays getting the things from that. We've had delays uh, on that side, uh, getting information uh, related, you know, the increase in accounts receivable, a few other things. It's just a larger organization, and I think a lot of resources uh, were uh, concentrated on finalizing the consolidated audit. And Brian, just for clarification, yes, I heard you say it's blended. Um, when we were able to complete that, because it's already um, um, included here, would, would there, is there the potential that uh, anything that uh, may come from that would, would uh, could potentially impact uh, the audit presentation you're giving now? Or yeah, good question. So, yes, the work that we've done on health partners uh, is allows us to be comfortable to issue an opinion on uh, Alameda Health System, including health partners. So if there was something that came up as we were finalizing health partners, we don't believe there, was, there would be anything that would impact the consolidated, this is the relationship of health partners to the overall size and magnitude of the organization. Uh, it's possible that you could find something from a health partner's perspective that you might want to change in health partners. We wouldn't go back and change the financial status. It's clearly immaterial. Uh, so we're all good with the LMU health system consolidated. Good question. Thank you. So next slide, and uh, just for those keeping track at home, I'm on slide 15. You know, we have this marketing team that puts these very faint numbers on the side of the page. I think it's kind of a new angle thing. You can't see it, but I've, I've, I've heard it's, it's um, yeah, very intriguing to the eye. It's a marketing thing. So I apologize for that. We are on slide 15. So significant accounting policies and unusual transactions. Really, the, and this, is, this disclosure to you is to let you know whether or not there have been changes in your policies uh, or uh, accounting principles that might change the comparative nature of the financial statements. Are you doing something different in 18 than you were in 17? And you, know, you should be aware of that as you're considering the financial statements. The big change, as Liz noted, uh, was the implementation of GASB 75, which really brings your, um, in theory, it's intended to bring your OPEP liability onto the balance sheet. Uh, Liz noted that you'd had a, usually that results in an increase in the liability for those post-employment benefit plans. You actually had a decrease, which is unusual. Uh, and that was like, the way you would get a liability in the past is you don't, 
you, you wouldn't recognize the funded status of the plan, uh, but the actuary would calculate a required contribution. And if you didn't contribute that required contribution, that contribution payable into the plan was effectively a liability. So you accumulated a liability in the plan. When you made the, the change to uh, GASB 75 to recognize the funded status, the funded status was actually less than what the accum accumulated actuarial contributions over time were. Uh, and part of that relates to the very favorable investment environment uh, that you're in. So you've got a, a favorable pickup in equity of about $21 million in this implementation. So I've already lost last week. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. It's a fleeting uh, feeling. Um, but that was the, the significant change in your financial statements. Other than that, um, no significant changes and no you know, unusual transactions that you can, should be thinking about when you're considering your financial statements. On the next page, judgments and estimates. This is important to disclose. And you, these financial statements have significant, significant estimates in there. And, you know, so when you talk about um, you know, the, the, ability, the ability to predict and project uh, and budget um, for financial information, a lot of that uh, is dependent on um, information available and uh, the, the estimates that are associated with financial statements. You have very significant estimates to your financial statements. It starts with the traditional healthcare revenue cycle is, is a very significant estimate. So just regular patient accounts receivable. Uh, there's lots of estimates that go into that. Uh, your big number in do to, do from other third parties is a very significant estimate. You're always, the team works really hard on trying to gather information to be able to project what you're going to get out of these programs. It's a really challenging uh, endeavor. And then uh, there's lots of sensitive estimates that go into uh, pension liabilities and um, kind of risk management programs. So those are self-insured uh, liabilities for workers' compensation or professional liability, those kinds of things. Uh, so yeah, very sen sensitive and significant estimates in your financial statements. We found uh, that not only were the the estimates reasonable, uh, but your management team's process of going about making those estimates is very reasonable. We uh, we like the orientation as it relates to conservative versus aggressive uh, when you're putting together those estimates. And all of these estimates, or most of them, we go through as Liz noted, and we, with the benefit of hindsight, we do a look back analysis. You said last year that you were going to get this amount, or you were going to pay this amount. Did you? And how far? And usually, um, you know, your orientation typically on, on receivables is, uh, particularly the D2 uh, and D funds, is you project, you get a little bit more than you projected, but you, the, the results are within the margin of error that we would expect. Uh, so with the complicated estimates uh, that you have, your management team does a good job uh, in accounting for those at the end of financial periods. Uh, and then um, the next slide, and I'm on slide 17, discloses uh, that there are, I did, did I roll that for it? Um, in relation to these judgments and estimates, there are notes in your financial statements that are particularly important as you consider uh, your statement of net position and, and uh, statement of revenues and expenses. These particular notes that we've noted here are, are ones that you should uh, be considering and looking at closely. Finally, and I think this is the most, well, this might not be finally, uh, but we're getting to the finally part. Um, I think this is the most important slide. 
uh, you know, when you think about a financial statement audit, we can tell you that you have an unmodified opinion, but there's a lot of things that go into that. We can take management's numbers and make you know, dozens of journal entries, and you have an unmodified opinion, but the financial statements don't reflect or aren't consistent with the interim statements that you've been looking at on a monthly basis to make important decisions. Uh, and that's a scenario you don't want to be in. I'm happy to report that that's not the case here. As we note in the slide, uh, we had we did not identify any misstatements uh, or adjustments to the financial statement that were individually or in the aggregate uh, material. So we really didn't make a, a ton of adjustments. The numbers that your management team provided uh, were consistent with what ended up in the annual financial statements. Uh, we had two uh, identified through our process that management then adjusted uh, accounts receivable for two um, adjustments uh, to increase the reserve accounts receivable. The total was about $3.8 million, uh, very immaterial to your financial statements. Those are the only adjustments we identified. So lots of good news there that uh, what you're looking at on an interim basis is what's consistent with uh, what ends up in the ending financial statements. And then I mentioned internal control. Uh, we did not identify uh, for the financial statement audit any significant deficiencies or material weaknesses in your internal control structure. As you may have noted in the long-form financial statements, we did have a finding in your single audit um, process that in, uh, ended up being a significant deficiency in grant compliance. Um, and that related to uh, time surveys in uh, one of the grants that you have. You, you have very specific requirements for um, when you bill for employees' time, um, the time surveys, how often those need to be conducted. So we had, we had one instance where an uh, employee was billed for a month, but there was no time survey. In another instance where you rolled their time to the nearest full hour, and your policy is to roll it to the nearest 15-minute increment. So. Um, the, the term is that we use for that is significant deficiency in your internal control structure. As you can see, those, these are relatively, um, you know, I would say minor uh, findings. Your management team has already kind of structured a response that you can see in the financial statements. They're working on um, changing up the team to make sure that they've got more experienced personnel that are that monitoring that particular aspect of that, uh, but that was the, the uh, finding related to the single audit, the grant compliance aspect of our procedures. Uh, no significant deficiencies or material weaknesses in the financial statement audit. Rick, did you want to add anything about that law finding about corrective action or anything more? So we have taken corrective action on that. Uh, that was an employee that is no longer with the organization. We've turned that responsibility over to uh, a more knowledgeable person in the finance area. So uh, I think we have it corrected. Thank you. Those single audits, it's, it's it, it, the extent of it is small. It's government. It's, it's very, it's the, the materiality concept that I talked about uh, related to your financial statement audit really doesn't apply when you talk about grant compliance uh, in relation to federal grants and, and expenditures of federal grant money. Uh, so it is, it is a very detailed uh, process where if you have to do this, you have to do that. Uh, and it's not a magnitude kind of thing. Um, we're happy to report also that we uh, 
didn't have any difficulties uh, encountered performing the audit, disagreements with your management team. Um, that really relates to, you know, when we when we work with your management team, um, or do they provide the information uh, on a timely basis? Is the information um, accurate, comprehensive? When we ask questions, are they open to that? Is there an open dialogue? And we found that uh, with your team, um, you know, when we would ask questions, we'd make suggestions, a very open dialogue. They were receptive to those kinds of things. Um, you know, very knowledgeable about providing information to us. And, and you know, we had several conversations where um, we were all in different places and everybody was able to get on uh, the phone and, and resolve those kinds of things quickly. Uh, so uh, I think it was a good process from that perspective. The next couple of slides go through some required, or the next slide, required communications related to uh, material uh, uncertainties and, and fraud and non-compliance with laws and regulations. We have nothing to report uh, related to that halfway enough. So I'll pause there uh, just before I go to our, our last slide on accounting updates, where I promise, I promise I won't spend uh, too much time on that. Uh, but I'll, I'll ask, um, related to our remarks on uh, the results of our engagement or your review of the financial statements, do you have any questions for us? Anything we didn't cover that you were hoping we would address? Well, I think you answered all the questions I had in the presentation. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad we the presentation. Perfect. Well, I just mentioned really quickly on, on slide 23, uh, GASB updates. This is uh, kind of falls into the category of uh, these are accountants, full employment act things, uh, things your management team is going to have to deal with uh, in the future. And the, and the one that's really important is the lease uh, standard. Um, you have a lease standard. GASB has a lease standard coming out. Um, the Financial Accounting Standards Board has a has a one that's on a similar timeline, and this really eliminates the concept of off-balance sheet leases, operating leases, things that you would consider to be a rental agreement, where you pay your rent and you recognize that on a monthly basis. Um, now, if you have a any lease agreement that you have that's that's over a certain period of time, over one year in duration, you're going to have to recognize an asset as a right of use asset and a liability as an obligation for future rental payments. So I can't recall what note it is in here, but it's towards the end in your notes. You disclose your commitments under operating leases, and over a 24-year period or a 20-year period approximately, you have uh, committed under those operating leases agreements about 90 million dollars in payments. So you think about the implementation uh, of that you would present value those back and so you're going to end up when you implement this with a, a, a large asset on your balance sheet, a new large asset and a new large liability for those historical operating leases that have previously been uh, a disclosure and not a balance sheet up line item. So kind of consistent with the standards um, as they're heading to get rid of off-balance sheet things. You've seen Gatsby put the pension liability on the balance sheet, you've seen the OPEB liability, now you're going to see the leases come on the balance sheet. That's going to be a big a big change for the financial statement for the users and probably more importantly it's going to be an exercise for your management team go through and identify all the leases make the calculations to put them on the balance sheet um, so a, a lot of work ahead unfortunately for you you've got uh, a three-year runway it's uh, 2021 before you have to implement that 
kind of running on fumes. It, it was, I know Anne feels like to get through this finally was, uh, I think it was, uh, it was a big challenge for the organization. So we think, you know, going into something like a, an epic, you know, transition, conversion, uh, which is a, a significant kind of endeavor for an organization. Uh, I think that your management team would probably agree that, you know, that's the area of, you know, if you can get uh, where you've got, you know, the full team uh, staffed up, I think that would be uh, the area to most closely focus on. It's an area when we think about, uh, you know, um, inherent risks and, and you know, uh, when we're planning our audit, uh, when you have you know, significant gaps that you're trying to fill uh, in the team, and I think you saw that in uh, in terms of the AR bumping up a little bit. You know, a lot of that had to do with transition that you had uh, in the revenue cycle. Uh, it can be a challenge. So that would be, you know, if you're looking for an area of risk. But from a financial statement perspective, uh, you know, I think it was uh, it was really clean the results that we saw. Thank you. That's. Well, we hear you, Annie and Nancy and your team. Thank you so much. And we know that there are not big, uh, those gaps and those vacancies need to be filled quickly as much as possible. We're trying. We're trying. <laughs> <laughs> not for that. We're extremely difficult. Yeah, to be clear. It's, yeah, it's uh, unprecedented, I would say. It's, it's really, really challenging. Thank you. So many other questions, right? All right. Well, okay. I, you, oh, well, oh, go ahead. Well, it's not, it's not about the, I don't want to disrupt the flow of others. I, I just wanted to say before we went to the internal piece, and I, I think you will either accept or recommend going forward, but uh, just a, a note of, um, of uh, caution or concern that we want to make sure we address going forward is, uh, is uh, I think we're at the we're at the last we're in the last year of the current uh, uh, auditor external auditor contract and um, uh, there's a bit of a time crunch to make sure that we uh, make a determination around at least the next year uh, uh, to make sure that we're on a audit calendar for a contractor uh, for the next year's audit as they begin to fill that in. So, so I'll point that out since we're not doing it in uh, this meeting to move it forward to the full board that uh, it may be something that we need to address before the next quarterly meeting of the committee. Oh, definitely. Yeah. We should probably do the January meeting and make that. We could either, yeah, we could either do that or depending on time, uh, January or the full board or what have you. But, but I would certainly say probably no later than that. Uh, uh, beyond that would be in a uh, yeah, risky situation. I'm sorry. Oh, are we at a Sarbanes-Oxley deadline? Or you mean like in terms of years? I don't think we are, no. Because uh, okay. this has been, what, three years? It's been, so we are we under a three-year contract. Yeah. You are, you're not under any standards that require you to switch audit firms or switch audit oh, partners. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Oxley would require you to rotate audit partners on a five-year basis. Right. Uh, right. That's, yeah, that's, right. for, that's for SEC registrants when you're not. So it's really uh, an internal policy on how you want to handle that. We're, we're in the third year. Well, this was the yeah, completing the third year. So in, uh, our con the original contract that we proposed on is ending uh, after this year, June 30th, 2018 audit. Right, so uh, putting on the spot, but what's our uh, you know, AHS advantage to 
continuing with my sadness, I know that you are uh, having the hell work with Benang, uh, with Liz, and how has it been for you? Um, you've been a company partner, so you've had some degree of that. How did that transition go for you? And uh, you know, anything you want to say about it? Yeah, no, I think I'm glad. As I say, you know, when you look at the, the results of the audit engagement, it's very clean. Uh, report. So we were uh, overall. I think we have a good relationship. You know, when you when you think about um, if you if all things being equal, you know, you have a good relationship with your vendor, with your provider uh, of services. Then you look from an audit perspective at kind of two things. There's two schools of thought. One is the concept of continuity. How does that impact audit quality? You know, having a team that I'm familiar with, uh, et cetera, is that, you know, there's a there's a benefit to that. And then the other side of the coin is the concept of fresh set of eyes. If I have somebody else that's looking at this, will I increase my audit quality by uh, providing an objective review? And that's where kind of Sarbanes-Oxley came down in the middle of saying, hey, we're going to keep the same, allow you to keep the same firm, but you got to have to, you have to rotate. You had natural rotation uh, here recently. Um, so, you know, there, I think that you evaluate your relationship with your vendor. You know, what, what are the fees look like? How are the communications? Those kinds of things. And then I think you evaluate the benefit of continuity versus um, object, objectivity and fresh set of eyes. Those would be the, the attributes that I would be considering um, as you go. And we, we certainly uh, we appreciate the relationship. We have the opportunity to continue. Thank you. That's right. All right. Um, so we'll move on to our dinner. Just to clarify, that, so that, that would be an action item for the going to January. Uh, yeah, yeah, so there will be no, 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 Okay, it's so time for the rickshaw. Yes, uh, so I'm going to start off by apologizing because we are on page 124 of your packet. Uh, it's kind of thick, but we've moved quite a bit through it. And page 125 and 126 should not have been there because I did not include the long-range plan in the packet this month. I had it in there uh, to go and uh, put it in my summary report but never finalized the actual package. So ignore those pages behind the curtain. So I've given you something else to lighten up uh, the meaning of it. So if you look at the screen overhead, this is my compliance campaign. Since this is compliance week, and we were so is this compliance week? It is. It's National Compliance Week. And so my team all got these shirts. <laughs> and I did not wear it tonight because I didn't want to uh, 
uh, distract everybody, but we were uh, distributing uh, new cards with our logo, uh, Spot and Speak, and trying to make sure that everyone knew about uh, compliance and thought about us, and we actually uh, had to stop a few times for issues being reported as we were walking through our facilities. Uh, so we have one new facility today, tomorrow, we finished with our campaign this week, but uh, we're going to continue our efforts and we've posted uh, little posters like this uh, at a number of locations throughout the facility to keep uh, compliance in mind, and we have a couple of different versions of this. Okay? So, getting into report stuff, uh, we have the ingenious med reconciliation and basically we were just trying to make sure that everything that went into ingenious med actually made it into Sorian Financials or uh, to go to the billing system and actually got billed out as, as charges. We were concerned there because we kept hearing from the providers that we weren't capturing all of the charges, but there's a difference. Some of them uh, rolled up to inpatient charges, and so they do. They get bundled instead of billed out. Others will go through, and uh, we had trouble reconciling the data because of the way that charges roll up. So we actually uh, just took uh, three days at random and <coughs> pulled reports to show what was. Uh, entered into Ingenious Med and what was received in Sorian and didn't reach a final disposition. And we were able to uh, determine that everything was moving over appropriately. So I cost a lot of uh, fuel over nothing because I really thought there was there were serious uh, issues here and that we could identify a lot of charges that uh, weren't being captured before. It's always good to get some good news, considering that there are other mm -hmm. things you're going to catch. Well, what we did find was that we don't have a, a reconciliation process from system to system. We need to work on that, but uh, it's with uh, Epic coming in, it won't be that long before uh, it's a, a smoother process. Okay. Uh, the next report is Prime, and we've been doing Prime for a while. We were doing DISRIP before, which was the predecessor program, mm -hmm. and uh, this is $32.2 million, so it's, it's important, and uh, year one was just reporting data and you get money, so that was pretty easy. Year two, you actually had to start reporting metrics mm -hmm. and reading those metrics. Uh, so we had a, a 56 different metrics to meet, and out of 32.2 million in eligible incentives, we were able to get 32.1 million. So there was some metrics we didn't meet, some others that we exceeded expectations, and so we only lost $100,000. I thought that was really good. Uh, the main thing that we were trying to do with this, besides 
that we were calculating things and reporting things accurately was that we were maintaining documentation in a central repository and that if somebody showed up to audit uh, our integrity with this program, that we have uh, all the documentation available in one place. And this has been an ongoing process because when I first started doing the district program, I had to go to 14 different people and it took weeks to identify documentation and that's when we suggested the central repository and every program since then were making that same recommendation uh, so that if those people change over time, we always know where the data is. Okay, so the project documentation was uh, an issue and that has been corrected um, by the due date. But Dorothy, this is better than anticipated because we were expecting that your tool might not see some of uh, some of the uh, because of the uh, we had to show outcomes here and that that might not be exactly. You were calling. You, you, I think uh, we achieved 54 of the 56 measures, but because we overperformed on the ones that we did achieve, we actually ended up getting. Uh, I think it was 101 percent of the available uh, dollars because there's a reallocation of unclaimed dollars in the pool that go into this pool uh, uh, for, for the entire state. So we were able to, uh, because we were able to uh, draw down more dollars than we had budgeted to receive. Um, this specifically about the, um, the documentation and making sure that we have that available for subsequent audited and, and in compliance with the program. I uh, did have the chance to check back with the team today because the deadline, as you see, there is October 31st. I'm like, is this done? And they confirmed uh, that it is back then there was only one piece of information about our baby friendly hospital status that is uh, uh, something that we pull from the primary source so it's not saved in its uh, area where all the other information is but is readily accessible through that source and actually uh, management has asked us to uh, escalate our audit process and they've already asked us to start looking at the next year's documentation because they filed it uh, so we're going to verify that everything has been done like they said. We'll go through and, and check the files as we uh, look at the next year's activity. Okay. Uh, the next audit is Central Supplies. And Central Supplies is all the chargeable items that are out there. There's thousands of them. Uh, and what we were trying to do was just to go through and see that when we use supplies, we're actually capturing those as charges, whether they're uh, on an outpatient basis and reimbursable or they're an inpatient, they're getting bundling, uh, getting bundled up in the charge. But however it is, we want to make sure they're being captured. And what we found is that there were some issues here. And basically on four and a half million dollars uh, a month in cost, uh, we would expect that to be marked up before it gets charged. Uh, but when we look at the charges in our uh, claim system, 
we're fairly seeing that cost uh, being captured. So there's some opportunity here, and it, it could be as much as $18 million on an annual basis. If you take that quarterly number uh, that should have been captured, and that's with a, a conservative markup. I mean, and I'm not saying it's going to make $18 million in revenue. It's going to be $18 million in additional charges, which either is going to result in some revenue or uh, would go into a cost report, increase some basis, and we might get uh, higher rates in the future. And is outpatient? services as well? Outpatient services. So... Across the system or in the in these you know, these ambulatory the ambulatory setting. So it's so ED services captured some uh, inpatient services looked like they were doing a, a much better job. Uh, there's probably some that didn't get captured, but uh, it's it's pretty good. Uh, outpatient wasn't capturing anything. So, yeah, we should speak to this just because I, th I think, and I appreciate uh, uh, Rick uh, providing the context that he has provided. Um, but, I, I, well, I'll ask Nancy to speak to it because I, 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 obviously this catches my eye as well, and I appreciate the work uh, done behind it. Uh, I think there's some nuances with respect to uh, charges, or I'm sorry, costs being captured and the cost being reflected versus uh, the charges that actually go out. And as he pointed out, uh, some of these services uh, or many of these supplies aren't necessarily costs that, or, or on a discrete basis, costs that would actually result in reimbursement. So I think it's, and, and it's, it's difficult, at least from my advantage point, to tell how much of this that would be, uh, because the work that's required to then make sure that we capture every single a discrete cost is could be fairly significant and may result in either an equivalent or only a nominal improvement in uh, reimbursement. And so I, I don't want to say too much about this because I get out of my lane, uh, but I do want to look more into this. Uh, but I did have a conversation with Nancy, and I think part of this is what we, our process, and I'll say this just as a sort of a caveat uh, for all of the subsequent reports that we'll talk about. And, um, what is our general process is that Rick does the audits, uh, Rick works with the teams or whoever the respectful or respective uh, managers and leaders of those areas are who are responsible for this work. Um, he will then uh, submit a draft of his report uh, to me and it is usually the case that I will then make sure that I understand this or have a chance to speak to the relevant executive to say uh, if he submitted a draft that says here's my findings, here are my recommendations, here's what management's response is. I want to make sure the management's response is appropriate uh, because sometimes where, depending on who's the manager, their level of, of contextual knowledge about this might not be uh, as robust as I'd like for it to be to be able to say, 
uh, I accept and agree with this, or I probably need to sort of put more context around it and push back. And so uh, that is our general process. I will confess that in the last couple of months, due to just being really overwhelmed with a lot of different things, uh, including the retreat and other stuff we're working on, uh, we haven't kept to that process. And so some of these, uh, Rick has done his part in sending them to me. Uh, uh, they didn't have the benefit of that further vetting uh, that we have put in place. And so some of this, we've been having a lot of exchanges about uh, since the report has been, or the uh, packet has been put out, and we working with a lot of the relevant uh, leaders to understand what we have agreed to and getting additional context. So, so I think there's more work here uh, um, that we'll continue to look into, uh, but I did have a chance to have some exchanges with Nancy about this one and a couple of others that we'll go through, and I, I want to uh, offer her the opportunity to kind of offer some additional context, because from a labor perspective, hearing $18 million of this opportunity on its face sounds bad, and, and I would uh, agree with that. I, I, I think the scale of it, though, is, is perhaps perhaps significantly less than what it might look like if you just took that number. So. Right. I mean, I think that from, from a reimbursement perspective, since, you know, if you think about our F2HCs, we're, we're reimbursed on a per-visit basis. So, you know, having additional charges isn't going to bring us anything outside of, of that. Um, there are certain programs where, yes, he talks about some of the um, uh, things for, um, birth control, that kind of stuff, which under certain like family planning programs could be paid for certain services. And, and obviously, if we have separate charges set up, like you mentioned, so they need to come through the system. I mean, we have to figure out how, how to make that happen. So, um, but from, if we don't have the charges in, you know, we have the costs. We have all the costs. We're, we're accounting for all the costs. And so, you know, we have, what ends up happening is we show a higher cost-to-charge ratio for the charges that we do have than we would naturally if we have that, that goes in there. So, I mean, there's, from a, uh, a cost reporting standard, I think that we're, we're picking them up. I don't know. We'll have to look at how those charges get charged, how those costs get charged out to the departments. Obviously, when the FQHC cost per visit was was determined, you know, hopefully those costs of the supplies were being charged to those those cost centers. Um, but I think for the reimbursement perspective, I, I don't think we're looking at big dollars at all. And the other thing is he mentions in here routine routine supplies. Routine supplies are technically not separately chargeable. Um, and any supply that is separately chargeable has to be documented in the you know in the record um, before it can be can be charged. So there's there's a lot of compliance issues around that as well. So and once you document in the record then theoretically the record should go into the charge so that that way there's a HIPPICS code that goes out Correct. and there are very few HIPPICS codes, at least on the outpatient side, that are going to result in any revenue. Right. Okay. And, and I think that's that's always a challenge. Right. So what we're looking for here is basically a policy that says these are the ones that are chargeable, these aren't. So there's no question because right now it's the areas do whatever they want to do and if they feel like capturing it, they do. Otherwise, it's, it's well, too much it's trouble. It's difference for you, too, because right, once you get into EPIC, you're, you're, it's going to pick up those HIPPICS level codes that you're going to be able to charge for and collect any reimbursement, right? That's yes. good. And I think it kind of ties back to when we were either talking about the Alinda hospital finances or something. Some things, uh, traditionally, because we just get 
feeling the upgrade. So we're just something we aren't used to doing certain things. So it's not baked in our DNA, but the landscape of healthcare is constantly changing. And tomorrow it might be a reversible thing or the other. So just kind of being able to do that, and if you know, you have a, uh, there are people are intentionally thinking what is reversible, what is not, and just to like to get that. I was just going to say too, as, as we move to Epic, we're going to have a single charge master, so that's, you know, going to be a place where we'll make sure that whatever is set is going to be set for the whole system. Right, and then it's the payer who's going to deny. Right. It's not going to be, it's not going to matter whether you build it or not, it's going to be the payer that's going to say. That's not really. Yes. Yeah, right. Okay, that's the way. Yeah, right. Okay, that's the way. Yeah, right. Okay, so that's helpful to be so I did say that no charges were being captured in the ambulatory environment, but uh, I, I will correct that. There were charges done uh, in ambulatory, and they were falling into an exception report in finance, uh, and they were not being cleared on a timely basis because there was uh, a process to capture those in the next-gen system, but when they crossed over to Sorian, there was not uh, a billing code for those. And so it's one of those things where are those chargeable items or not? Uh, and we need to just get in sync with that and, and work with uh, the revenue integrity area to say either these don't come over or somebody needs to work them and get them included on the bill. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, it is an issue. I do think that, that putting some metrics that are lower on some bills to some payers also close, causes the whole claim to reject, as I recall, right? Is that still the case? Oh, yeah, well, it, it, any time they can reject the claim, they can reject it, so. <laughs> yes, Okay, the, the third issue in Central Supplies was that we have some DME supplies out there, that uh, there, there's some issues around DME. We're not a DME supplier, uh, we're not licensed as a DME supplier, but we're providing DME supplies to some patients. We're using uh, third-party vendors for others, so we just need to develop a consistent approach of how we handle DME. Yeah, there is a way to do this. Don't ask me how, but I know there's a solution to this because I, I face this, a similar problem. But license, just being licensed yeah. would make things so much easier. But being licensed is a lot of work and probably not worth the effort. So the easiest way is to have a closet with DME supplies in it that are uh, provided by a vendor. You give it out, you notify them, they bill the patient, it's all good. But we haven't got to that point yet. We kind of do that in some areas. We refer patients to DME suppliers in other areas and we uh, give them our own supplies in some areas, so it's just an inconsistent process. Yeah, the, um, the closet is hit or miss. Yeah. yeah. So you have been through that too, and it's um, not been the best solution in terms of, you know, patient care and stuff. 
and this is mostly the core that you are speaking about. Uh, through the system, like DME, things are happening on Alameda Hospital and the one thing in particular is that's that's the one on the island, right? That's what you're talking about. Uh, which clinic? One? There's actually one clinic at Highland. Yeah, no, I was wondering which one. Well, it would be the one at Highland. This is the one at Highland. Okay. Okay. Uh, the next audit registration. Uh, so we have two registration areas. Uh, we were just trying to make sure that they had a consistent process, that we do uh, appropriate training, we identify uh, patients properly. Uh, and we found this, the process is pretty good. And we're only doing this because everyone blames everything on registration when there's issues. Uh, so we said, okay, well, let's find out. Uh, so as a result of our review, the only thing we found was that uh, there really wasn't a lot of uh, communication. So, well, okay, so the first finding was they have PowerPoint presentations instead of policies that uh, they use for training. And it was like, well, how do you know which PowerPoint you need to do? You need to formalize the training a little bit better. Uh, identify all your documents. Uh, PowerPoints are great, but you have multiple versions of the same thing out there, so let's, let's be consistent. What are we using for education, online education? Are we using Elias or? Uh, no, we use Elsevier. Uh, Elsevier? And so can, can this training be put online? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're, 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 they're going to work on it. Yeah. I, 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 got the I haven't talked to them about this, but I got the that um, uh, this was not a, uh, it's not a controversial matter. It's just a matter of, yeah. it's just what they did. You know, if you put all of your trainings online for all of your departments, like whatever online training program you use, then you can easily monitor who's completed the training yeah. and know that you've got everything up and online. Mm -hmm. I like that part for compliance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, you know, I know I've, I've been in environments where that's what we did. Every department had their own policies and procedures, of course, and if you put the training up online, you always knew who needed training, who needed refreshers, and it was just one nice solution for everything. So, I mean, hopefully, uh, what you've got in place allows you this flexibility to go in and create your own training modules. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah I, the training modules are going to ch change anyway. Uh, or when we get to Epic and we're looking at a robust uh, uh, solution there because everybody has to be retrained re on, on this. And those are clearly the, the ones that are limited to Epic, but we're looking at uh, whether this uh, solution or another will be the uh, main conduit for all of that training. We do do, um, I have to look at all the other areas, but all of the sort of uh, required trainings for compliance and other sorts of pieces are all posted on this system, yeah, and that's how it is. Uh, um, uh, training and tracked, uh, and so I just don't know if we only use them for system-wide things that are applicable to the vast majority of our workforce, or if we also use them for or uh, department-specific things as well. Yeah, somebody was great if you could use that same system to build on and then to different modules get mm -hmm. pushed out to different departments yeah. and different staff. So. 
Okay. Uh, the second finding was uh, denial process. We have uh, uh, several areas that handle denials, and of course everything was a registration issue. But there was really a lack of communication between these areas, and so the things they say are registration, registration doesn't agree with, but they never wanted to talk to each other. So it's like, okay, let's do some communication, let's work out who these errors belong to so that they get worked timely. Uh, so we're working on that communication plan. Uh, and the, the third area is duplicate records. And so we were generating about 3,000 duplicate medical records a month. And nobody could really figure out why. And HIM and registration were talking. Uh, and so we just kept growing this number, but because of EPIC, we're saying, well, we got to work all these duplicate medical records and get everything cleaned up so we can move over. Uh, and so then we found, when we started talking, that uh, this, this was this week, in fact, uh, when we made the migration of, of medical records to Soy and Financials, they had a whole bunch thousands and thousands of medical records. They didn't move them over, and they moved them to a place where they're not accessible. And so we were getting these uh, medical records highlighted as being duplicates, and nobody could find the other account. And now we know where to look. Uh, and it's like, oh, well, that's, that's 55 to 60% of the duplicate medical records generated on a monthly basis. So it's like, wow, uh, the light comes on. Yeah, and that's going to be important for the epic migration. Yeah. To have massive record be resolved early on. So thank you for adding that for each of these, and we've gone through these so we can probably, you know, highlight things that there are these completion dates and things, so that that's also a follow-up tracking for us. Yep. Yep. Uh, and the last issue was the uh, staff training. Uh, since you have two registration areas and they do the same thing, they really need the same training, but you have two different training programs for the two areas. So it's, it's kind of like we need a consistent training. They do the same thing. I, I don't care if one of them's uh, ambulatory and one of them is, is core hospital. Mm -hmm. They need to do the same work and they need to do it consistently. So uh, we've got them talking and we'll see what we can do to that 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 would be driving that process, right? Because that would be, with that, you really need to create just one master. Yes. Right? One, one patient, one record. Right. I've, I've heard of a number of times already. Yes. Not in the end. Okay, so. From my brain to the trash there, right? The next report, see, I didn't have any reports for a long time. Now you get bombarded. Uh, 340B at the freestanding wellness centers. Uh, so all we were trying to do is make sure that everything was kosher. We didn't have any issue on 340B uh, at the ambulatory centers because that was outside of the scope of the other 340B audits that we had been doing. And this was a lot earlier. Yeah. Any discount that you got, you would have to give back, basically. Yeah, that was my understanding. 
and and since they have about, uh, you know 50 60 percent discount on each drug that you buy that could be a huge amount but it's really not all that bad uh, in the freestanding environment so of the 340B drugs weren't set up as chargeable items. The ones that were set up, they had our UB modifier, they were, they were good to go. So those are the ones that were getting billed, so everything is fine. <laughs> but only 38% of them were actually getting billed because they weren't set up in the CDM. And again, this is having this next-gen system that then goes over to Sorry, uh, financials for building. So we have a problem there. Uh, we want to get all that stuff worked out before we move into the next gen. How we make sure that everything works out of the CDM? Okay. Drug wastage thing. So well, the other issue for uh, the wellness centers was. You've got a bunch of these uh, 340B drugs that aren't getting charged that they're dropping to the air report in finance because they don't uh, capture all the appropriate data in NextGen to transmit over to Sorian. So you don't have the dose and quantities to build it out properly. And so then it's got to be manually worked. It, you've got a bunch of items being held up, 297 as of the report date, that were suspended in the cool for manual work. So we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot. We're not getting these things built, and then we're reworking things because somebody else has to touch it. So we just need to work out uh, what needs to be in the, the CDM and what's the process for working it if it to the air report. Uh, the good news is that it's only a few hundred thousand dollars in cost a year, so we're, we're not talking about that many drugs. It's just when you do bill it, you got to bill it right. Mm -hmm. It's got to be cleaned up. Yeah. Okay. Drug wastage, we have some. So we have a new requirement that started in January of 2017. You have to report the wastage. Right now it's an informational thing, but uh, eventually it's going to be required for reimbursement. You're going to get reimbursed for what you dispense and a little bit on what you wasted. Uh, so we're going to have to start capturing that. And, and as a CMS requirement, we should be doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're working on that process. Uh, we've got to get the JW modifier in place. Uh, we've, we've formed a work group and should have the process done by the end of the year uh, to come up with what that workflow is, how we capture that data. Uh, we've already moved from multi-dose files to single-dose files. Now it's just a matter of uh, how do you get this done on a, a systematic basis. And hopefully we can do it in a way that the system does the work instead of 
manually because you always have issues. When I read this the first time, I was trying to figure this one out. So if it's a single dose, right, there shouldn't be any wastage in a single dose, right? Well, a single dose, it really means single use. Uh, so it might have 50 milligrams of medication, but you're only going to use 20 or 30. Or, it's not the full thing. It's made as a single, but it's dependent upon the patient as to how you're going to use out of that. And so right now you kind of charge for the whole vial, but eventually you're going to only be able to charge for what you actually administer. So they, they're going to figure that out by different HIPAA codes, so that way it's, you know, so many CCs out of this vial. You're going to have to build so many gram, milligrams out of this uh, as administered and so many as wasted. That's so, so problematic because it's not like, I mean, if it is a single dose or a single bottle, like, yeah. It's not like a luxury, or that's what I mean, just single use. You don't have the luxury of saving it, right? You gotta waste it, but you don't have the luxury of saying to the vendor, hey, I'm gonna use a little bit of this. You should have only charged me for it, but I only can get the for that. It's gonna get really complicated, because it seems to me, you know, you're gonna have to have different typics level code, right, for each dosage that you do out of a single dose. It's like a 50 cc, you're giving 20, you're gonna have but that was a special code right there. Wow. Yeah, it's it's not going to be easy, but but it's that's the requirements. What's the purpose of regulation? Maybe we're trying to get the pharmaceutical companies to reduce. might be going after the, the single-use vials and trying to figure out why. If they put it in a 50 milligram vial and everybody always administers uh, um, you know, 20, 30, and that's the normal dose, then they would pressure manufacturers to start putting it in a smaller vial. So we're pushing it down to the provider. But it's evidence-based. How do you otherwise do it if you're not capturing waste? I mean, the, the first time you've got to have, I know it's generous, but again, it's building that culture of compliance because as end users, if we are throwing away a lot of things just because, hey, it's somebody else's, we also need to be saying, why? Why, like, why do we buy these? products where we are using a quarter of it and the only thing that's available is a 50 milliliter or 50 cc, right, whatever it is, right, but everybody is only using half of it, right, the manufacturer has created kind of this waste situation. Yes. Right. That's the only thing I can think the purpose of this is, yeah. So we are moving on, I'm keeping an eye on the clock. People walk through assessments, I'm just giving an update on this. We've completed uh, the freestandings, we've completed uh, Highland, uh, the acute setting, and the specialty clinics, Alameda Hospital, and the Alameda Sniffs. Uh, we've got Fairmont, San Leandro, and John George to go, uh, so we're going to be reporting those later this year, uh, since we get reports written up. and. Uh, I think, you know, our scope, we're, we're looking at all the different uh, 
possibilities for uh, privacy violations, and we kind of see the same thing in each facility, so we're letting them know in advance that, and that we're coming, but uh, there's still little nuances that we identify, and then we will work with them to resolve all of those issues. Look, I thought I saw somewhere that um, the response on your early hit by walkthroughs were they were delayed or something? Did yeah, from, uh, like from June 30th to now December. And some of them were delayed. In your, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, uh, so, other reports, uh, my annual plan yeah. for 2018 considered complete, uh, 2019 on time. Uh, Compliance program assessment that was our CRG review. We completed 23 of the 36 recommendations, and uh, we had some delays because I didn't uh, finish the complete the uh, compliance strategic plan, and have not uh, finished the rollout of the code of conduct. But as soon as I get those, then things run along pretty smooth, and we wrap all those issues up. So the rollout of the code of conduct is now like BHR doing that, like it's it's been all finessed and that's all been everything else. Just yes, we just got to get the communication plan and get it out, out on the internet uh, and talk about how we're going to communicate that to the employees. Okay, uh, compliance issues we have a high volume. Uh, I think we saw the dashboard, uh, it was in the package, and I can go to that in just a minute. Uh, so we actually have closed a bunch of uh, issues on the, on the uh, compliance reported issues, but we're getting so many of them reported, and part of that is due to my, uh, in my communication, my marketing plan. Uh, it, it's a good thing, but it causes us more work. Okay, uh, and outstanding findings, there's 61 open issues, uh, and 25 of those are recent walkthroughs, so it, it's not increased that much, but there's still a bunch of things out there, and uh, we're gonna continue to work those. So, on a dashboard, this is what I wanted to point out. Uh, this is a three-year summary, and you can see the red line is the open cases, the blue line is what's reported. So even though we're trying to make progress on reported cases, they're still coming in as fast as we can dispose of them. And we got that at QPSC too, just the number of recordings have gone up so much. So. So that's on 153. Uh, so some of this, we have delayed some of the things. Uh, uh, 
they're contingent upon other areas. So uh, a lot of these things, it's requiring IT to put in wave ID. Uh, I've been working with IT, and some of our printers aren't uh, adequate to accept wave ID and getting in a new printer uh, so that they can put this on out of cycle is going to cost quite a bit of money. So uh, what I've been told is that all of them will be replaced as uh, Epic gets implemented. We'll kind of move that date out. But in the meantime, we've got to work with the yeah. the, the PHI all of those printers if they're in common areas. All of this kind of just brings to that culture of compliance is that so many of these things we feel when Epic comes, we can have that happen, but there's still many months before that happens. And so while that, if there are HIPAA violations and things like that, it's just building up that culture. So it's kind of the same thing with uh, privacy screens. Mm -hmm. I think it's an easy fix, but uh, as we were uh, working on corrective action, uh, IT came in and started replacing monitors because Epic requires a larger monitor. The privacy screen that they were going to get was no longer adequate. So then it was like, well, wait a minute, we're not replacing any privacy screens until we get these larger monitors. Uh, so now we get the right kind and, and get that taken care of. Um, some of the other items, uh, I have not gotten responses on or, or haven't done follow-up on, and there's some things that should be relatively easy. Put out a notice to all your people and make a privacy uh, uh, notification on your email. Right. Okay. Do it. Just do it. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm working to get these things closed out. I've actually done a couple of walkthroughs in the last week uh, to see how they've done on corrective action and see if they did enough or uh, can I ease up a little bit. Like one thing, uh, the monitor thing, you know, being visible, I said, well, this one isn't too bad. Why don't you turn it? Then it's not public facing and then you don't have to get the screen. Oh, I can do that? <laughs> So, uh, when, is, like, when is the town hall or something happening next week? Because I feel like if Director like went and just said, like, guys, we got to, like, you know, shape up. These are simple fixes. Like, this is not spending a lot of money and resources. It's just being more intentional about how respectful we are about patient uh, privacy. And all of that. Sometimes it just it, it, every member of the ELT kind of a mid-level manager has to be speaking that language for that to be kind of permeating the DNA. Yeah, culture. Yeah. We do it uh, uh, well. We do it twice a year now because we do it multiple times at or multiple times across the system uh, about 13 minutes. So I think is what we're still doing now. So um, that is a, a, an opportunity to, to uh, underscore this, I would agree. I think in this particular area, uh, the, the, um, the, I don't, it's not a person-driven um, um, situation. I want to be clear about that. But the CAO has been on maternity leave. Mm -hmm. And uh, that would be the, 
Thanks for CEO and Siri for recording me. So what was that? Um, uh, yeah, but that is generally, again, one of the things where when, when it comes to ELT and we would do this sort of thing, I'd say, you know, that, that's my opportunity to say snap up, you know, uh, snap up and get this stuff done. Uh, but we're also, we're, 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 I think what I heard Rick say to you is, is a combination of both um, the folks actually getting this stuff done and then uh, validating that it's been done, whether it's in the, in the way in which we agreed or in some modified fashion, and then him being able to, to follow up on this. And one of the things he and I will be talking about is sort of bandwidth, uh, because um, um, as you might imagine, both the uh, complaints or uh, reports uh, that he is getting, as well as the current audit schedule, uh, take priority over following up on historical audit uh, uh, findings. So, so uh, I think, uh, if I'm saying this fairly, Rick, uh, some of the uh, um, the updates that you see here are a matter of when's the last time he uh, spoke to folks, which may have been uh, last week or it may have been several weeks ago, and so it may well be that some of these things are done or it may be that they, aren't, they still aren't done, and so it's just a matter of us figuring out the, the, the cadence and being able to give you the most recent information, but also uh, holding people accountable, because I, I kind of feel like a little bit of this is, is certainly timeliness of the managers and accountability for getting it done, but also maybe self-imposed, because I want to be fairly with this team, they have a certain bandwidth, and uh, uh, if they were spending a lot of time following up on all of these, then the other things wouldn't get done, and, and I think for us it's just a matter of finding the right sort of balance, so they aren't what I call self-imposed stress, uh, because uh, if he's moving at a piece of them putting new findings, and they're also applying to these areas, they're also confounded by how much can I keep up with getting those things done versus how much can I respond to the new things that he's placing on us, which is right and fair enough, but we, we need to balance it so that we're all not getting stressed out about uh, of these things more than we should be and might be contributing to some of the challenges. And, and then in your dashboard, there were, uh, the, the, that progress report, there was some that Kenyan uh, uh, was doing and things, so you just want to update those since he's not here, who yep. will be doing those and um, so. So we talked about that too, so he's going to, He's, he's, you've met with Mark and done some to initial meet and greet, I, I uh, know, right? I know, but, but this wasn't a part of your communication and you're working on. I mean, he's probably, as he's on boarding, he's got so many other things he's got to come up to speed on, so this is not a So, uh, yeah. and he saw this, so he's, he knows it's coming his way, so. But you, you're right, we caught that, too. Yeah. I think you should put on the back of your shirt, just do it. <laughs> Give us all those spots, Maggie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there were a couple of things, and I'm just kind of zipping forward to in, in your compliance report. Is that okay? We moved to that one. Uh, there we said completed, and I think that there are just a little bit of caveats to that, you know, especially the governance ones, which relate to us uh, about the. CCO evaluation and uh, some of those things that we feel like we um, needed to kind of work with HR and find out a process so that, so those are things we'll, we'll work out though they are not completely real, those are things yeah. that we need to, as, as the administrative thing happens, you need to Agree, yeah, and, and as it relates to the, the, the most recent about, which I think was kind of the, um, 
the execution of this process, which might have, uh, for that one, resulted in it being more completed. Um, uh, effectively, you, um, you have completed it, but there's some loose in it. Um, we, I uh, pass it along to Tony to say, can we upload this into our uh, performance management system? He thinks there will be some uh, uh, character limitations that might uh, prevent the feedback. Yeah, yeah, you guys are well, right. it is not it's my strong point. You were thorough. If we say it another way. And so, <laughs> so what I asked him to do is to see some way that we can make sure that if, if, if there are limitations there, we just want to make sure it's reflected as a formal evaluation for, for Rick. And so we'll make sure that it's appropriately captured in a HR manner that that is the final um, uh, evaluation as provided by the, the board via the audit committee. Some of the other components, and again, we, didn't, we can discuss this um, outside of the meeting too, was that when, when, the, when the audit committee had actually had this conversation when uh, Trustee Lawrence was still part of it, was that because Rick is, kind of, is in this unique position of being an independent body in that sense and interfacing with so pretty much every aspect of the organization, to have like some kind of, not, not the kind of 360, but having small bits that uh, of, of feedback from the stakeholders, some other, just a representative sample of some stakeholders too. So that's something that we might need to think, maybe a team in terms of the capacity, maybe, um, you know, stakeholders across the system. So you're saying, so you're saying what do we do and, and we will, uh, as you know, we'll be working on the uh, senior leadership 360 in, um, in the fall, or when that be winter, I guess, uh, the first part of uh, calendar year, uh, next year. Um, Rick is included in that. You're saying when he chooses the peers, you would prefer because I think they're. Well, so you started that. It's all yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. It was just a matter of. I'm sorry, the subordinates. It sounds like what you're saying though is. Uh, historically, we're still actually we're looking at whether we'll switch vendors. I'll talk to you lots about that in a later uh, context. But uh, what I hear you saying is, uh, historically, you choose subordinates. You just choose people who do report directly to you. You want him to have a blend of people who report to him and then other people as a part of the people giving him uh, feedback. We have ambition, but we can, you know, work that out. We can look at it, and yeah, we can work with you to see what's happening. If there are any good best practices elsewhere, we don't want to recreate anything new, add extra burden on the system, but there's, again, everything, just looking to see what might be some good practices. Okay. So another question. One thing that uh, you know we have a calendar here of our own that that Rick and I will be working on is our, our calendar is pretty well set in terms of you know each quarter what are the what are the components that we cover in the meeting? But based on this uh, playbook that we did at the retreat, we mm -hmm. can all be working through that to bring a, 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 a calendar and make sure that some of the other, that the board education, those things are also well captured in all of that. So um, we'll, uh, we'll update that. I know that uh, we have to send it to Maria Trustee Hernandez as well. So you and I are working on that one. 
Okay. Any interesting comments? Oh. Good work. Yeah, good work. Good work. Thank you. I'm glad that our, our audit is yeah, clean. Yeah, That's yeah. really a good audit thing on the screen. So, on that. Unless Anne wants to go home and ask you. All right, on that note, I'm moving it to Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.